Hi all, thanks for tuning into the My Personal Economy podcast. I hope you're all doing your level best to ride out the corona storm, which is affecting the whole world in all sorts of ways. People are losing their jobs en masse, and most of us are in isolation now, as the whole staying at home thing is finally sinking in. Federal and state governments are announcing support packages left, right and centre. Central banks are printing like crazy, and interest rates are literally next to zero. Today we're going to try and get some clarity on what all this means in the now and in the future. Welcome to the My Personal Economy podcast, the place where we get you up to speed with what's going on so you can make sound decisions when it comes to your financial life. Now, let's get started on today's topic. Where do we start? Actually, let's go back a bit because everyone's going to say, oh, coronavirus came out of nowhere and melted down the economy. I don't buy that because blaming anyone but yourself for a bad financial situation is not going to do you any good. And I can see the future. I can see what people have in their superannuation uh, through the mortgage brokerage, which I run in Melbourne suburbia. And my clients are a pretty fair representation of average Australia. I see a lot of old people going broke in retirement in the not too distant future. I said I was going to take you back, but actually I went forward. But anyway, let's go back to the podcast I released on September 9, 2019, called It's Tankerville for the US Economy. Using the excuse that you were helpless because no one could predict the virus and therefore the recession is not right. They are two separate issues. The recession has been coming, but... No one could predict the virus. The fact that they have happened at the same time is mere coincidence. If you're new to the podcast, my endeavour is to give my listeners enough of an understanding of the outside economy so that they can make better decisions in their personal finances. After listening to that episode, I had listeners take action and adjust their risk levels of their investments. I bet they're appreciating their decision now. Note, none of what I say in this podcast is personal financial advice, just my opinion. In that episode, I made a metaphor to show listeners that creating currency for our modern world is like the earth needing rain to provide it liquidity. The earth needs rain for its rivers to flow and to feed the whole ecosystem. If we don't get enough, then things start dying. And that's the same with money. Average people find it harder to make a living and they stop spending. That's all a recession is, two quarters of reduced spending on a national level. The people who control our money have Asperger's. The tap is either on or off. This is very important to understand when trying to get your head around all this stuff. The people who are making these decisions aren't sophisticated beings. They make irrational financial decisions just like most other humans. The problem is, for the rich people, the tap has been left on. The people who pull our levers have been tricked by the rich and the powerful. They've been tricked into thinking you can just have a permanent spring and summer without an autumn and winter. This is just wrong. It's not the way the world works. Now powers that be have said, shit, we need to get money into the hands of poor people. We've seen several initiatives to bail out people in recent weeks. Banks giving six months repayment holidays to mortgage holders. Businesses being given cheap loans. Businesses being given money to keep people employed. New starters doubled. And there'll be many more to come over the coming weeks and the coming month. Let me go over a few things that we may see in the future.
For the last five years, APRA have made it harder for average people to borrow money. I've mentioned before, they will need to turn that tap back on to reinflate the economy. So on top of all this stimulus being created, people will be able to borrow a lot more. By the way, when you hear the word stimulus, it just means they're creating money out of thin air. There's also going to be more stimulus to banks. Yes, we give the banks more money. When banks have more money, they can create more money. The process is called fractional reserve banking and it's been around for a very long time. This will help swell the supply of money in our economy. We need to look at a future of negative interest rates. I devoted a whole episode to this in August last year. The International Monetary Fund put this on the map about a year ago, I think, when they produced a white paper called Enabling Deep Negative Interest Rates, a guide. I'll read you the summary because it'll give you a fair idea of what's coming. The experience of the Great Recession and its aftermath revealed that a lower bound on interest rates can be a serious obstacle for fighting recessions. However, the zero lower bound is not a law of nature. It is a policy choice. The central message of this paper is that with readily available tools, a central bank can enable deep negative interest rates whenever needed, thus maintaining the power of monetary policy in the future to end recessions within a short time. Basically what this means is they can drop interest rates to whatever they want and print more money. Negative interest rates is a curly one to get your head around, and I must admit I struggle with the concept as well. What you need to know is that interest rates for the average person to borrow money can keep getting lower. All that means is that you'll be able to borrow more money because you'll be able to afford the lower interest repayments. And added to negative interest rates, more stimulus to the banks, and stripped back lending policy, we also have quantitative easing. Last week, the Reserve Bank announced they were bringing in quantitative easing in reaction to the coronavirus and its economic impacts. For the layman, a whole lot of money is created at the press of a button. The Reserve Bank will decide where all of this money goes, but based on previous QE measures globally, it'll probably end up in the hands of federal governments and big banks. With QE, the bad has most likely outweighed the good, so it's hard to see any long-term benefits coming out of it. No doubt there'll be all sorts of new measures and announcements in the coming months. If you think how our decision makers think, you'll understand they just have to keep this tap on full ball. They have to spend their way out of this problem. Let me explain. The last 10 years or so, the QE solution hasn't worked. That's because they gave all the benefits to corporations and rich people. The problem is when you do that, the rich just buy shares and that money doesn't actually go into the, into the real economy. So the answer time and time again, which is the only answer they've got, is to keep printing money. In the episode, It's Tankerville for the US Economy, I explained about the velocity of money and what that means. It's a term to explain how many times money circulates around the economy. I use the example of, if I go down the street and spend 100 bucks at the shops, it means someone else has earned 100 bucks. And if someone else has earned 100 bucks, it means they can spend 100 bucks. And when that gets spent, someone else earns it, and so on and so on. Over the last couple of decades, the velocity of money has been steadily decreasing. And that's because they keep on printing money and giving it to the rich. And the rich don't spend it because they're rich. They don't need to spend it. They just put it into shares. And there's a massive problem here. You can bet your bottom dollar that the guys and girls in control don't understand that giving the public, say, 100 billion in stimulus actually creates probably four or 500 bill in lending because it circulates around the economy. They're going to rain down all this extra cash upon our economy and the global economy in general without knowing what they're actually doing. What's worse is it's not going to work to begin with. 
And the reason is because everyone's in lockdown. This extra money, even if you put it in the hands of the right people, won't start circulating until humans start circulating. And if the past is anything to go by, they're just going to keep printing money until it works. So let me try and summarize the last five minutes into something that's easy for you to understand. Let's say a billion dollar stimulus gets put into the real economy. Let's say that money goes around the economy four times, which is realistic, which means that $4 billion of income has been earned. A big bank, one of the big four banks, can lend up to nine times that amount. So all you gotta do is get four, times it by nine, and 36 billion can get created. So magically, you go from one billion to 40 billion because you've got the 36 plus the original four you created. Now, those figures obviously aren't exact, but I'm trying to put together a very simple equation for you to get your head around. And it's called, this is why I think it's reckless to bail out everyone. Most people would think I'm heartless for thinking it's wrong for the government to bail out everyone. And that's what they're doing. Everyone's getting bailed out. State and federal governments have already said money is not an issue. They will do whatever it takes. My issue is that we're conditioning the general public not to take responsibility for their finances. The risk is that as a country, we'll put ourselves in a position where in the next economic crisis, we cannot bail out everyone else. The risk is that too many rely on too few. This is what I fear will happen in the coming decade, hence the episode title, The Great Inflation. Once this corona thing is over with, I think we're going to get inflation. I think that'll be the story of the decade. What a lot of people don't get about inflation is that there are very few winners and a whole lot of losers at the end of it. At the moment, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty about. There's a lot of talk of financial oblivion. The preppers are all out there gloating about how they've been preparing for this for decades. My business personally has had plenty of calls from worried clients about what the future might bring. I get that when I say everyone is getting bailed out, it doesn't give some people much confidence. But let's go back and have a look at history. Let's look at the Spanish flu, which was about 100 years ago. It's estimated to have wiped out about 50 million people worldwide. And at that time, the world had a population of somewhere a bit below 2 billion. So it gives you some sort of scope of what that meant to the world at that time. On top of that, chuck World War I into the worries of the world. The first global war culminated in property and then share market tops in the US. If the level of fear and uncertainty causes you concern now, just imagine what it would have been like living through these times. Yet the next decade was totally opposite to what anyone could see happening. It's commonly termed the Roaring Twenties. The economy of the decade was highlighted by technological advances in transport, electricity which powered the burgeoning industrial revolution, cheap and easy money which ended up being speculated in the share market. To me it feels like exactly the same thing's about to happen, just with upgraded technology. I'm not bringing this up to say, oh it's all good, you shouldn't worry. It's totally the opposite. What goes up must come down and a great inflation has a high risk of causing a great depression. This is something to actually fear. Right now, fear is not going to do you much. If you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose it. You can't do anything about that now. Also, whatever you're going to lose now, you'll be able to get back quick because inflation is going to come back strong. Fearing something that could happen years into the future is something you can prepare for. My best guess if this scenario comes true, we've got five to 10 years and that's going to be where the danger zone lies. Now, I'm not saying what the future is going to hold. All I'm saying is you now need to take a depression as something that may happen in the future and position yourself where you and your family are not going to be sunk into financial oblivion if it does end up happening. Imagine if you get sacked tomorrow, which is a reality for a lot of us. 
But imagine the government doesn't have the resources to bail you out. Your shares in super have basically gone to zero and you're not getting any income from it. Your investment property rents are going to have to come down drastically or you risk owning an investment with no renters. The very worst thing you can do at this time is hold debt because you don't necessarily have the income to make the repayments. With no income means struggling to keep the lights on and it means struggling to put food in people's mouths. So the number one thing, and it's always been the number one thing, is not to be left holding too much debt. Holding debt with no income will bankrupt you. With the great inflation, there'll be a lot of opportunity to increase your wealth. But just remember, there's a lot more losers than winners at the end of the Great Depression. Just make sure your debt's paid or minimized. This might seem impossible, but with inflation, our incomes will also inflate and our debts will actually look lower. All we actually need to do is pay the debt. Losers will keep maxing out their borrowing capacities and keep feeling rich because their assets are inflating until the house of cards falls down because it's been fueled by debt. Don't be a loser. You have plenty of time to do your own research and make your own plans for the future. I'm going to skip my series on why I think the property market will boom for this episode. If the last 15 minutes hasn't convinced you, it'd be useless anyway. If there's one thing I'm going to leave you with, it's just to be kind to each other in these uncertain times. Like I said, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and the best thing we can do just at the moment is be kind to our fellow beings. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the My Personal Economy podcast. I hope you've got some nuggets of wisdom you can use from today's episode. My goal with this podcast is to help people understand their finance a little bit better. So if you have any questions I can address, please get in contact. You can find me by searching Will Bell Mortgage Broker on Google or Facebook. Thanks for stopping by.